0: you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com/slash host.
1: Are you ready?
2: I was born ready, JB.
1: Just writing down my last few notes. <laughs> writing down? Yep. Australia, luckiest team in the world. <laughs> okay, pod on three. One, two, three, pod. pod. Hello and welcome to the Egg Chasers Rugby Podcast, the podcast about rugby that doesn't take itself or the game too seriously. Tim Cocker is away this weekend buying a new fence panel to replace the one he previously wore out. So I'm here with (laughs) Phil. Good day, Phil. Good day, JB. So here we are, and we finally know the participants of World Cup 2015 final. We do, although it could have been fairly easy to predict somewhere near the start of the tournament. I know, and, and... As wonderful as this World Cup has been, and if Tim was here right now, he would say this is the best World Cup ever. And I would probably agree with him. And I would agree with him. Hooray, consensus. Yeah. (laughs) But doesn't this feel just a little bit like we knew the results before it happened, and as CJ once said, it's the hope that will kill you. (laughs)
2: When he was talking about um, Scotland. Yeah. Um, Hmm. Now, part of me does think... In in this game today, for example, I was half rooting for Argentina because I love an underdog. But I was also half rooting for Australia because it will give the best final. Yeah. And well,
1: Australia-New Zealand will be a better final than Australia-Argentina. Uh, sorry, I, New Zealand-Argentina. I don't disagree with you. But here's where I stand on Australia, which is I really don't want them to win. I didn't want them to win (laughs) against Wales, obviously. I didn't want them to win against Scotland, obviously. And I really didn't want them to win against Argentina because I just think it'd be amazing to have Argentina in the final. It would be. But it's hard not to like them. It's hard not to like the Endeavour. It's hard not to like Pocock running around, making just incredible interventions in every stage of the game. They're just a really, really good team. And someone like Adam Ashley Cooper,
2: who scored a hat-trick. And and Drew Mitchell. Adam Ashley Cooper was... Sensational. Did he score a Julian Surveyor hat-trick, though? <laughs> that first try, the the pass from Foley and the timing of the run, to be absolutely full-pedal, to receive a 30-yard pass like that, that was brilliant. Well,
1: he, well, here's the other thing, right? Drew Mitchell, he's not the biggest. No. Nope. He's not the fastest. He's nope. probably not even the most skillful, And he's certainly not the strongest. <laughs> Yet, <laughs> somehow he is the most effective. And actually, in some ways, it's same with Adam Ashley Hooper. Yeah, there's...
2: Like you say, quicker, stronger, everything, people have more, but they're intelligent, and they're a little bit older, they're a little bit more experienced, they slow down a little bit, but their intelligence allows them to read things and be in the right position at the
1: right time. Adam Ashley Hooper, you could not be more correct, he seems to read everything. Yeah. As for as for Drew Mitchell he just has these occasional bursts of brilliance and he's, he's not it doesn't look like he's going that fast he doesn't look like he's going to hand someone off but he just finds a space and he keeps on going and the yeah. legs carry on churning and before you know it he's made 20, 30, 40 yards
2: that um, the Adam Ashley Cooper tray, the last one where Drew Mitchell made 50 plus yards mm-hmm. was very reminiscent of the trade scored for Talon uh, in, in I the thought final,
1: exactly the same thing
2: where he, you think right now he's going to be tackled now And he keeps going, no, tackle now, there's two men on him, he's going to be tackled. No, keeps going, keeps going, keeps going. Very impressive.
1: What do you make of the Australian back
2: row? Well, I I said last week that I I thought if Pocock plays, Australia will win. And Pocock was unreal. Uh, His skills at the breakdown, the number of turnovers he created,
1: he was probably... Six, seven, eight turnovers just for David Pocock? Yeah, I, he seems to be in the middle, middle of everything. And even more importantly, it's kind of like Australia have said, we don't really need an eight. In fact, <laughs> everything a traditional eight does, we're kind of going to dispense with. So, you know, where everyone has a big ball-carrying eight now. Wales have one. South Africa certainly have one. New Zealand... He can do it, but you know more of a distributor. Well, no, he can have, do it. He is a world class ace
2: And they have Kano as well, who does. Kieran Reed's handling game is is better, but Kano is the blunt instrument that you described last week. So Australia, yeah, they've got effectively two sevens or t- sorry, two fetchers because they're not just yeah. normal. They're not just normal sevens. They are true traditional fetchers, um, but because they're. They're so athletic, they're a bit smaller, but they're so athletic and strong and intelligent, they can do everything as a unit.
1: It, well, it's that compact strength that really gets me. That kind of on-the-ball, terrier-like, you, you just can't move them. Same with uh, Richie McCaw. It's just incredible. And I wonder, I mean, England have bought into this hook-line sinker that you can't really get a, a proper fetcher because they're too small, and as such, you've, you know, you've, got, with it, you've got this kind of back row in the England team, which is 6-4 very very good athletes very powerful athletes but not necessarily very good good at the breakdown no not at all yeah i i just like to see the RFU after this tear up their kind of life coaching uh manual <laughs> to how to play rugby for everyone from age 4 to elite level and hopefully just look at things in a little bit more a little bit more very holistic way and maybe england will produce a decent seven sometime soon
2: it's not necessarily the RFU it's got to come down from the club level and it, they've got to look at uh, talent and ability, not just prioritising size for for back row players, because, mm-hmm. uh, well, b- both of those are either six foot or under and say around fifteen fifteen and a half stone. They're not yeah. big guys, and when you come to international back rows, they are small and light, mm-hmm. but I- they are unbelievably talented and effective.
1: Actually, a quick uh, a quick apology from me there. I promised myself such an apology to myself. Um, <laughs> That I would not talk about England today. And within, yes. uh, within six minutes, I'm already criticising England.
2: You're steering the ship towards
1: Lancaster bashing. No, we will not mention anyone <laughs> who's not relevant to the game of rugby today. Okay, okay. Uh, as for Argentina, the improvement that they've made from what I saw in the championship, and I don't know if i just see in the championship a team which is getting beaten week in, week out, and therefore I can't really judge exactly how good these guys are. So what you see now is quite remarkable
2: but they they did it against certainly against south africa in the rugby championship where the scored a hat-trick in south africa and they put 40 points on them and they played that beautiful brand of free-flowing rugby but it has it's taken a few years for them it's interesting hearing kontopomi talk before the game he said since 2009 they've had a directive in place right across the board for um teaching basic skills to youngsters Better. Which I know the RFU have something similar But it's clearly not quite as effective As the, the one that Argentina have got in place But
1: these guys aren't, aren't really youngsters you there's, there's,
2: like... there's some There's a mix isn't there Like it... Bosch and Hernandez are not youngsters No not many any stretch But Nicolas Sanchez and Cordera and Imhoff
1: They are um, And those two second rows 21-22 Well here's a question for you Who will have the better second row pairing in three years time Argentina <laughs> or South Africa Good question Good, good question. Because it's absolutely terrifying.
2: And, and Whitelock and Ritalic, They're, I think, 24 and 25, something like
1: that. It's oh.
2: absolutely frightening.
1: And again, I said it at the start of the show, Australia are the luckiest team in the entire <laughs> World Cup. Do you they, disagree with that?
2: They had some decisions go against them. They had some decisions go for them. I don't think the yellow card should have been a yellow card. If, oh. that's where you, if that's where you're going.
1: Oh, well, exactly right. I don't know how you're meant to judge these things now. I mean, even Clive Woodward was uh, incredulous on this decision, <laughs> and he's absolutely right. I, it's, I can't even think of an equivalent where uh, the act of playing rugby is so random. That 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 guy, whoever the second row was, who went who, who went for the tackle. I can't remember which one it was. Yeah, He goes in, he gets knee in the head, which is fine. I mean, obviously, it's a duty of care there, right? <laughs> I mean, you can't be, you contact knee to head. That, that can't possibly be right. Well, and, if if, it, it, and if he was or Tuolangi... If
2: he was Samoan, yeah. if he was a tier two nation, that would have been a red card, five-week
1: ban minimum. Minimum. Uh, <laughs> so, he does that. Now, if you intended to wrap your arms, but you dive into a man's knee and you don't wrap your arms, I don't think it's... I don't even think it's a penalty. It, it's hard to judge. From
2: one angle, it looked like he was trying, to, starting to wrap his arm and just the force of Falau hit his arm back. So it, you can't wrap your arm if one smashes it back. From others, it did look like he was a bit reckless. Mm-hmm. But again, it's my frustration. So Wayne Barnes adjudicating it and he said, it looks between a penalty and a yellow card. Right? Yeah, I can go with that. For me, it looks more like a penalty than a yellow card. It does
1: not look like a yellow card. It It does not look like a yellow card, right? Here's here's when we use yellow cards. It is to stop cheats. And what I mean by that, people slowing the ball down if you're being constantly warned over and over over again about lying on the wrong side of the ruck or collapsing a scrum or taking a man in the air to a lesser extent, but cheating things which slow down the game. I have no problem with yellow cards for for that. But for things like a mistimed tackle, foul play, I think all that sort of stuff should be referred to uh, some sort of sighting commission and then deal with it? I think how, it depends how dangerous it
2: was. And okay. this, was, this wasn't dangerous. No,
1: not at all. And here's the other thing as well. If the referee sees someone striking, striking another player or he sees a tackle like he saw today and in the heat of the moment he says, play on, don't see a problem with that. That is it. Now, if a sighting commissioner wants to pick it up later, absolutely fine. Or if the referee thinks, uh, like in Rugby League, they put them on reports, which I think is a great idea. All that, absolutely fine. What I don't like is three phases of play later, a TMO says, uh, Jerry, you've got to go have a look, at last tackle, four blue. Uh, it makes no sense whatsoever. I went mad. and more- <laughs> I could. I wasn't with you, but
2: I could just imagine you shouting and bawling, ranting and raving.
1: And, uh, well, what, what's the point? I mean... Rugby's got a real core following. I think I would describe myself as a core fan. <laughs> I, think. I think. I think you fall into that category. Yeah. I would be tempted not to watch rugby if it carries on like this. I'll go and find a different game. I'll go and watch Rugby League. I'll go and watch MMA. I'll go and watch something which men can play without <laughs> without the danger of some ju- judicious idiots getting on a microphone, calling up the referee. It's just not on. It's not on yeah. at all. It, w- it was annoying. It, and it felt like... Um,
2: after Australia's amazing start, um, Argentina were working their way back into it and then the yellow card kind of blunted that Argentinian yeah. edge
1: that they had. Uh, yeah. And I'm so glad that Australia won by more than, was it, two points because that was a dif- that was a differential. Because if that would have been the difference, I would have lost my mind. I would have absolutely <laughs> lost my mind. As it happens, Australia won relatively comfortably. Yeah, it was four tries to nil.
2: So it was relatively comfortable. Although it's so there was um, a correlation between the Australia and the New Zealand game in that uh, South Africa didn't score any tries either. They got six penalties, Argentina got five penalties. And it almost felt like in both games, whenever Argentina or South Africa were getting on top and getting territory and getting continued phases together and breaking the line, New Zealand and Australia were in a cynical either slowing the ball down or hands mm. in or diving over the top of the ball to prevent them from getting the... Tr- it was almost like a cynical accept the three points
1: yeah, rather than concede the seven. I can't prove this, but I'm kind of along the same lines as, as you here, which is I think there's some sort of like Goldilocks zone on the field where they say, OK, not in the 22 because that's a guaranteed points, but maybe halfway to 10 metre line, give something away there.
2: Yeah, you can give it away, and particularly if you're not down the middle of the field. Yeah, if you're a little bit wider, and they've bent the line, and you're scram, the defence is scrambling back, but the attack is coming through. It did both games. It just felt like the Australians and the New Zealanders were very intelligent in the way that they gave their penalties away. Mm. If that makes sense. No,
1: it makes it makes
2: complete sense, and it's something which I've been wondering for quite a while. Actually, well, maybe it is cynical and intelligent play, but maybe that's been a little unfair to. Well, to all the teams, actually. Maybe it was just the pressure that Argentina and South Africa were putting on uh, New Zealand-Australia and the pressures that that the players are under. Mm. Because the New Zealand game, they gave away an uncharacteristic number of penalties. And it may or may not have been the cynical side, but it may have just been the pressure, the pressure of the occasion
1: and the pressure that, that South Africa were putting on them. You know, If I was Australian now, I think I'd feel seriously aggrieved that every game they played in near enough. I mean, the England game, they just won hands down. Yeah. But every other game, it feels like they've had, had a lucky break. And it takes away from the majesty of just some of the phenomenal defence. Oh, phenomenal def- defence
2: and phenomenal skill set going forward. The Drew Mitchell run and the uh, Falau pass for
1: to Adam for Cooper. That was absolutely superb skill executed at the highest level. Mm. What do you think is going to happen going forward now with Argentina? Because two World Cups ago, they made a semi-final. Yeah. And it doesn't really feel... Like they've kicked on since then. And I'll oh. tell you why I'll say that. And I know I'm wrong in saying that, but I'll tell you why. And it's because in the championship, they continually get beat. Now, last World Cup, they went out in the quarters. But to reach two semifinals in three World Cups is one hell of an achievement. And now they've got this, this super franchise... I wonder if they're going to you know, turn into something equivalent of South Africa or something equivalent of Australia.
2: First of all, I disagree that they haven't kicked on since 2007. Oh, yeah, yeah. Two, 2007, they had a very limited game plan in order to win knockout rugby yeah. with, with the massive boot of Hernandez and the kick chase. And it's great to watch. We love that kind of intelligent rugby, but it's not, it's not great to watch for a, a neutral or for someone who's not a big rugby yeah. fan.
1: No, to, to be clear, I, th- I think that they have progressed a lot. But it's not noticeable because of where they are Because play. of where they are. And if you think about it, when they came over last autumn, they lost to Scotland. In fact, I think, they, I think they lost almost all their games.
2: Yeah, but they they often don't get all their French players. So having a team in the Super Rugby mm-hmm. will be good because it means all of their players will
1: always be available for the international selection. Yeah. And they'll all be used to playing for each other. And it's such a strange beast that they've got here. So they've got players which are heavily suited to Northern Hemisphere Rugby. Yep. which is why they're all here. Yeah, And yet, they're playing in a Southern Hemisphere competition.
2: Well, they, they're getting the best of both worlds because they're playing the club rugby in the Northern Hemisphere and they're playing their international rugby in the Southern Hemisphere. Mm. So they get the attritional warfare, close qu- quarters combat of the top 14 and the Aviva Premiership and then the open, expansive, exciting rugby of the Rugby Championship.
1: I think, I think a few years' time, these guys might be absolutely terrifying.
2: Well, the Super Rugby franchise... I think it's positives because it basically means that team will be around. They will be playing together thirty weeks a season, thirty mm. weeks a year, thirty-five weeks a year, however many games there are. They will be playing together. My only concern is that you'll get players who, because the their Super Ruby team will basically be an international team, there'll be youngsters who might not get the opportunities because they've only got one t- team playing at that level. Yeah. So they might have to set up some links back to the Northern Hemisphere to send their youngsters, like like Matera went to Leicester when he was 19, yeah, to send their youngsters out to the, the Northern Hemisphere, get them top-level game time,
1: and then send them back when they're ready for the yeah. super, super rugby. Because at the moment, it's a hell of a gamble for a 19-year-old rugby player To say, oh actually I think I'm good enough at rugby So I'm going to decamp camp and go to the French 3rd Division And hope that I get a contract in A 2nd Division or 1st Division Or whatever it is, club I read a phenomenal article in the Times Regarding Fernandez lobby And he was a Let me get this right I think he was an an engineer until he was about 23 Because he wasn't convinced he could make it As a professional rugby player (laughs) Awesome So I wonder how many more there are over there thinking well is it worth going to France or well like
2: uh, Contopome is he a, he's a doctor isn't he doctor lawyer is one of them something. a doctor one of them a lawyer
1: um, yeah I'm not sure I, I will tell you this though. do you remember Lafreda uh, Lafreda Lafreda was the Argentine coach okay he he was an engineer by trade and you might remember him because he went to Leicester straight after the World Cup okay and I asked a question to uh, Harry Ellis in, in one of these sportsmen's dinners what was Lafreda like or it wasn't actually what was Lafreda like I actually said um, who was the worst coach that you've ever had? <laughs> <laughs> a typically negative question. Um, <laughs> to which he, he replied about Lafreda, because all he used to make us do is Canterbury Squares, and that was the, the entire training session. So, <laughs> yeah. so
2: Canterbury Squares is in just a passing drill. Yeah, yeah. So, do you know, when you go to corner to corner, yeah, yeah.
1: or whatever it may be. But going back to the guy you were speaking about, uh, Matera, when he was at Leicester, I don't remember him doing a single thing. No. Getting injured maybe? He he got injured, I think he had a shoulder injury,
2: but he got some game time and he was nineteen when mm. he went to Leicester. How many nineteen year olds do you see playing regular Premiership rugby? Owen I, Williams.
1: Uh when he first moved. First when he he moved first, yeah, but yeah, but a bit yeah. flippant there. Uh he didn't do anything and now he's going back back to back to the super the super franchise. Actually it should have been the other way around. He should have started at Super Franchise everywhere uh, somewhere. And then he moved to off. Leicester. And it comes back to what I keep saying about the Welsh regions. The best thing for the Welsh regions is if they decide to form out their young their young players, sorry their older players to get the young players' experience now i I do agree with that to an extent. I do think it has weaknesses,
2: and the two weaknesses are um, not necessarily available for for all of the international Training camps yep. and and the the rest weekends in the Six Nations. You got the likes of Jamie Roberts turning out for Racing Metro v Clermont away <laughs> on his on his rest weekend. In the, nice, yeah, that's not great. Um, and the other one is, um, it means that the Welsh regions are weak, so you're not going to get as many supporters. So it's going to be less attractive for younger players to go to that, and it just it it kind of diminishes the credibility of. The local rugby, which should be a natural feeder for the bigger rugby, both in terms of fans and players.
1: Yeah, and actually, uh, I'm looking forward to talking about the difference between the Pro 12 and the Aviva later on in this pod. But before we move on to the next game, which was New Zealand-South Africa, probably worth mentioning that you can find us on the on ACAST app. You can download us and subscribe so our podcast magically appears on your device whenever you want it, or should I say, whenever we want you to have it. <laughs> and finally... <laughs> whenever JV says it's okay <laughs> for you to have a podcast. <laughs> whenever we decide to go to the Dungeon and podcast. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and finally, uh, follow me at JBeardmore or the podcast at RugbyPodcast.
2: Yes, and you'll see some very good, normally some uh, interesting and insightful tweets about whatever game is taking place, (laughs) (laughs) or
1: whatever injury, or whatever's just happened, whatever breaking news there is. Exactly. Uh, So, New Zealand, South Africa. I'm going to have to make a confession here. I only saw the last 20 minutes. I had to listen to the first hour of it um, on the the way home to North Wales. Very nice. Well, I have a
2: confession as well, JB. Uh Uh-oh. What's your confession? I was at a wedding up in Edinburgh um i was oh i was hosted by the the very lovely uh friend of the pod cj and his lovely girlfriend faith why well, sorry wife Indeed. faith um who put us up in edinburgh and provided us an excellent meal on the friday night a really really good meal and a few uh beers on the friday night um but i was at this wedding and fortunately the ceremony had finished by um four o'clock so me thinking uh, it would be not too rude to just sit quietly on my own and watch it on my mobile. Not rude
1: at the slightest. Not rude.
2: This—it's a World Cup semi-final. You're working. Ex- I, that's exactly what I tried to explain to my girlfriend. She oh. didn't take it very well, unfortunately. So I've only—I've seen the full game now, but I didn't watch it live, unfortunately.
1: Ah, uh, okay. Well, if we're going to name this podcast something for the World Cup, it should be "It's the Hope That Kills You." because this is exactly <laughs> this is exactly the same sort of thing right yes
2: I mean were you hoping for South Africa then
1: well I don't really know I mean I do like South Africa in principle and what I mean by that is I love muscular big <laughs> pounding rugby if only if only Tim was here he would have an absolute field day with that uh, <laughs> I, you know, and I like the idea of it I also think that their backs are, tr- are tremendous well until you get to the outside backs and yeah, I, I would have, I don't know, I would have liked to have seen that style of rugby get a little further. And I'd like to see the upset against the All Blacks. I, yeah. It just feels like everyone you speak to trots out the same cliche over and over again about how good the All Blacks are without actually watching them. And it annoys me, really. It really annoys me. But these cliches are true for a reason.
2: Yeah. And the All Blacks, in my opinion, were the better team. They scored two tries to nil and they had the majority of possession. They made far more metres. They beat far more defenders. I think it was twenty, but New Zealand beat twenty defenders. South Africa beat three defenders. Is that right? Yeah. <laughs> um, wow. So they played. They played far more of the rugby, but some ill-discipline, as we mentioned before, and some very good kicking from kicking from the tee from Andre Pollard kept South Africa in it for the full game. Mm. And it's a bit frustrating that Andre Pollard's kicking from the tee was good, but his kicking out of hand wasn't very good. I didn't think he was very tactically very aware. And like we mentioned, New Zealand just sit with three men back and he was kicking to B- Bin Smith and N- Nihim Milner Scudder. and they just run it back with intent. They're so good under the high, so solid under the high ball. Their positioning is so good and the return is so good.
1: I, I guess what, I'm, I just I really want to see a team challenge New Zealand. I really want to see how good they can be. That's what it feels like to me. We've not. That's probably why I don't like because I've not seen them under any kind of pressure. And that's why I do quite like the Australian team because I have seen them under the pressure and you've seen them dig deep I mean, the display against Wales as heartbreaking as it was for me was quite magnificent really oh, 13 men and you defend for more than 10 minutes 3 on held up own. tries that's, a, that's, that's unheard of yeah. it's simply unheard of whereas New Zealand it just feels a little bit too easy now that's that was one of the reasons why
2: I was supporting Australia in the, today's game because they've got a real chance they've got by far the best chance of beating New Zealand in my opinion Mm, uh, I, I don't disagree
1: but, but where Where do you stand then On the difference between Well sorry Not the difference But how good Do you think That French team were That they beat Or were the French team Just rubbish And maybe We've got a slightly Inflated opinion Of uh, uh, New
2: Zealand I, I said at the time I think It was Six one half A dozen of the other I think New Zealand played Very very well But France were All over the place Bar uh, Spedding Fofana And Picamol's I think everyone else was. They almost looked disinterested. They were running lazy lines in attack and in defence. They were missing tackles. They weren't even getting themselves in the position to make tackles. Um, so it was. New Zealand were great, and you you still have to even against underperforming international side like France, you still have to actually score the tries. Yeah. But see, it the, didn't. It does not tell us a lot about um, New Zealand that game. No, not
1: really. So I'm all at sea when talking about New Zealand because are they this magnificent team that destroyed France? Or have we got a better glimpse of them against South Africa? Where they they were impressive, I guess, but they weren't they weren't absolutely brilliant. They they weren't yeah. and they then weren't the New Zealand that I've kind of that, that the cliche suggests that they are. And
2: they they only won by two points against a South African team that was limited and that that did that did only make uh three line breaks. That's incredible. Yeah. That- Not one uh, South African player made more than thirty yards with ball in hand. Mm. Not a single one.
1: Yeah, I, I was also a little disappointed in Victor Matfield c- coming on. I didn't think that he did well at all. I think he's underperformed pretty much all tournaments. And the other guy that underperformed was the other veteran, uh, Flori Dupre. Yeah, he d- he didn't have a great game either. It felt like he had some sort of tactical meltdown. His
2: his kicking was well, it's solid in the first half, but not always great. And some of his decision making, like you said, mm. um, not as good as what we saw the previous week.
1: Yeah, you know, everyone bangs on about caps. Like how important international caps are, and I'm starting to think, yeah, they are important. You need, I don't know, a handful. Say you're a good, seasoned international, right?
2: There is kind of a tipping point where you get to a point where you start to diminish. So as you get older, you start to of slow course. down. You start to slow down a little bit. Maybe your strength work isn't as good. But the best players, the best players are, are still improving. Like Adam Ashley Cooper's got 100 caps, mm. and he's using his. It's partly the team he's I, playing in, see, but it's partly the intelligence and experience that he's got.
1: Well, see, I'm going to go the, the other way here and not say that, oh, Caps are all important and you need so many players with a certain amount of Caps. I'm going to go the other way and say, when you get to a certain, a certain number, you're done. <laughs> so let's call it like 86 Caps. No. And, and,
2: and then you're done. No, Richard McCoy is just
1: getting started on it. Yeah. Just, or, it. Or maybe, maybe like do like um, a marquee player. You can have two of them, <laughs> but then everyone else has just got to go because you're stif- you're stifling young players coming up, and you know maybe Gethin Jenkins would have been best leaving at 98 caps. <laughs> I'm just saying,
2: mm, maybe I think everyone's there's no hard and fast rule, but <laughs> uh, there is there is a, a tipping point where the as the number of caps increases, you're you are diminishing like some of your talents are diminishing
1: to a point where. There's a crossover, and it's not really worth it. Even the young, even young lads who've got a handful of caps, or more than a handful of caps, look at George North. I mean, there's not a day that goes by when I don't worry about George North taking, you know, a little bit more damage to his body. He's on 50 caps now. Well, probably 54 or something now. I think more than that, yeah. Which is just incredible. And he's only, what, 24, say 25? I, I, think, I think he might be younger than that. Oh, my word. I think he might be 23 <laughs> with... Fifty-five, something
2: like that, even more than that. Yeah, uh,
1: yeah, I, you know. And to even add to that, I just wonder if these players now, with all the internationals that can be played, and all the club rugby that will be played, played, and the and the intensity which they in play, which they play them at, whether we can actually. This might be the high points of. Highly capped players Does that make sense? Yeah. So the average The average amount of caps In international squads now Will probably be the highest that it's ever been Because as it gets more And more physical These players are going to have Shorter, shorter and yeah. shorter careers And eventually less caps That's my theory at least Yeah
2: No that makes sense Unless they do change The balance And so you've got fewer uh, Domestic or fewer International games So players are Instead of playing 35, 38 games A, a season or a year mm-hmm. They're playing kind of 25, 28 games
1: I'm sure I've had this chat before
2: Yeah, we definitely I'm sure we have We definitely have George North, by the way He's 23 He was 23 this year Uh, He has 55 caps for Wales And 3 for the British and Irish Lions
1: Why is my life so bad? I mean genuinely <laughs> Some of these guys
2: um, I think you're a couple of kg heavier than him at the Yes <laughs>
1: A small victory <laughs> Although although I mentioned this before I actually have a winning record Against two Alangis Oh really? Yeah I played against One, one of the two Alanghi, um clan Who used to, who was playing for Penrith On one occasion Right okay um, Is this like some long lost Second uh, cousin I, mean, I second think cousin. he was at Newcastle And then they I don't know what happened to him next But he well, I do know what happened to him next. He went to play for Penrith and, and lost against me. So, um, Beardmore won. To so a lad lad nil. nil. A long way that continue. I think there's a good chance of holding that uh, unbeaten record. <laughs> so, um, any, Anything else of, uh, of note? Would you talk from this game? Well, there's the McCaw incident. Well, oh, actually, yes, actually,
2: actually first of all, let's talk about the, the Kano incident. Because his first half was very eventful. Okay. He, he was he was on great form. He scored the try. He was making meters all over the place, big hits. And then there was the stupid, stupid. It was a lazy running line to try and disrupt. So he ran across the back of the ruck to try and slow down the, the scrum half getting the ball. Mm-hmm. And as the ball popped out, he just cynically booted it back to his own side. Yellow card, one hundred percent. I don't know.
1: Which exactly what you use a yellow card for? Yeah. Exactly what you use a yellow card for? Yeah.
2: So deliberate. And cynical. Um, so th- there's that in- incident, which I've got no problems with. And then there's the McCaw incident, which a lot of people are making a lot out of. Now, have you seen this? No. Describe it to me. So McCaw is accused by some people of elbowing uh, Francois Lowe in the head. Good. At the back of... Uh, uh,
0: <laughs> good. No, was no, genuinely good. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host.
1: I mean sorry, carry on. Carry on.
2: <laughs> okay, I'll carry on. So um Francois Allo steals the ball, passes it back to uh, I don't think it was a scrum off, it was someone who's behind him who takes the ball in. And as McCall like runs round the back of the rook. Um, he bumps into, um, he just catches him, just catches Francois Lowe, and Francois Lowe like, is kind of taken aback but carries on. Mm-hmm. Now, Francois Lowe needed 16 stitches. Oh he, oh, needed 20, oh, oh, he needed 20 stitches, 16 to one wound and four to another. Wow. Um, How How? This is from one elbow. Well, the accusations that started first thing this morning were that it was from this elbow. Yeah. But I was reviewing the incident. Um, and i've seen a couple of other reviews of it i'm f- pretty certain there was no elbow at all and it's people are uh, trying to be kind of divisive smug,
1: rich richie McCall's good name good
2: name yeah uh, or just it's it's people cynically looking for clickbait like just looking for clicks and k okay. so I, there's p- calls for him to be cited which i think is a, it, on review of it i think it's nonsense mm mm-hmm. um and I think Francois Lowe got the, the two cuts from completely unrelated separate incidents. Well,
1: there is something incredibly bitter, isn't there, about a team that has lost, or fans that have lost, asking for a sighting on a player that has won.
2: <laughs> and it just seems
1: to happen quite often.
2: Francois Lowe was asked about the incident and he did not mention McCourt at all. He's probably concussed. <laughs> <laughs>
1: um, I, so, I think you've got to... Uh, not to harp on about this because it's in the past and, and all the rest of it and I'm sure we, we have spoken about it at length but you've got to understand what the spirit of the game is about and then ref it accordingly and maybe the occasional elbow is in there that's all I'm saying <laughs> maybe it is not uh, always not blatantly in front of the ref but maybe it is um hmm I'm not
2: necessarily sure I agree with that mm. um but hopefully sense will prevail and he will won't even get a sight in and we won't be talking about this and on saturday richard McCaw will get will win his 149th international cap
1: my word yeah my word and yeah uh, and not actually in a traditional position that is going to last long oh it's <laughs> seven i mean you ex- let's just go through this. which which positions do you think have got the potential for the most caps scrum half fly half those are two maybe may a prop because you do tend to get stronger as you go. I mean it's but not as a lot huge of props
2: d- don't develop until they're 25 yeah oh so uh, yeah so, so there's not many really caps. yeah
1: ah, yeah. good point so to be a 7 uh, the type of 7 he is as well and actually he's had a, a, lot of, a lot of time injured I mean he could have actually added to the, the amount of caps he's got significantly
2: he, he could have and he had like a 6 month rest period fairly recently as well but well, there's probably another half dozen caps that he missed out on
1: right here Phil this is what I want you to do for the next podcast ok I want you to go and look over players and say let's just pick out a random number of caps 80 caps ok then I want you to give me the top 5 players who have played the most games available to them <laughs> so if you've been available for 80 games and you've played 80 consecutive international <laughs> games you've got a 100% record and I want to yeah. know who the most consistent who, who have got the most caps they possibly can do. So I think Richie McCall will probably be relatively low because he's always picked when he's available. So even yeah. Where, yeah, I mean, he'll be in like the top over eighty caps. He might be in the top what ten, but he's not probably right right at the top there.
2: Um, I don't know. It's hard to say. God, it'd be because v- you'd have to analyse every single person's availability for every single game across eighty mat across more than eighty matches. That's why you're doing it.
1: <laughs> um.
2: I'm not sure. No, 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 no. Oh, Next, sorry, I am doing it. Yeah, yeah, ex- exactly right. <laughs> um, Richard McCaw as well, this will be his 110th cap, uh, cap as captain. 110 caps as international <laughs> captain. Of which, do you know how many... Uh, so he's played 109, do you know how many he's won?
1: <laughs> okay, how many, how many has he lost as captain? <laughs> I don't think he's lost any more than 10.
2: Ooh, he's lost eleven
0: oh.
2: and two draws. <laughs> so 109 and won 96 Test matches. How is it? How is this not boring for him now? <laughs> That's a question. Um, fourth highest cap- captain of all time is Sergio Parisi. Now, has he won more than McCaw has
1: lost? Sorry, has he won more games? So, oh, he- I see. So you're asking me as captain has he led the Italian team to more victories than McCaw Okay, then
2: McCaw has had
1: defeats I think and
2: he's only played he's played 66 compared to McCaw's 109 I think
1: Parisi has led his team to 13 victories
2: 14 victories (sighs) not bad so he has won slightly more than uh, McCaw has lost but it's, it's horrendous I've mentioned this on the pod before like one of the best players of all time I wonder if so a great pr- captain pr- and
1: goes to bed at night thinking why did I not play for Argentina uh, no. what was in it for me to join this the, these bunch of clowns who have had every <laughs> opportunity to be good and yet point blank refuse to improve just just refuse uh, it's like a um, you know it's like they're trying to prove a point <laughs>
2: Yeah, poor Parise, he's, he's got a... No,
1: not not poor him. Poor Cause, Parise. Because he's, a... he's the helm, helm of this awful team and they just don't <laughs> do anything. He's got a dismal
2: 21% win rate as captain. Maybe he's just not a not good captain. Hmm, maybe. I mean, he's an exceptional player. 100%. Maybe he just really, really
1: winds up all his players <laughs> by strutting around. Maybe it's all about him. Strutting around with Miss World on his arm. Oh. Um... Sorry, Miss World with, with Percy on her oh no, or, <laughs> I mean, he's the... Uh, <laughs> the he's trophy husband. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> exactly right. Um, is he captain of Stavrancette as well?
2: Uh, yeah. Yeah. Huh.
1: Hmm, maybe not then. Okay, shall we move, move on over to the Premiership? I think that's a good idea. Okay, what game shall we talk about first? Do you want to do it chronologically? Okay. Do you want to talk Gloucester or Sale then?
2: Um, well, the one the one I saw the one I saw was Gloucester Saracens game. Admittedly, I watched it uh, starting at one in the morning on the Friday night oh. when the girls had gone to bed and we'd had a few. And you d- we watched some naughty stuff. Oh yes, Oof, the sorry.
1: guys kicked back with uh, <laughs> the the Gloucester Saracens game. Nice and a little bit of whiskey. Okay, and what do we think? What do we think of the game then? Hmm, it wasn't the best encounter, was it? No, not even close. Saracens just do what Saracens do. That's the reason that the champions. And, you know, we thought it was Gloucester's year. Yeah,
2: um,
1: it's definitely their year, though. Next year might be their year. Next year next will be year, their year, year, I, year, 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 I, year, year. I think. I really think that wrong. is the one. Uh, I'd predict Gloucester to go on a five-game losing slide, though. <laughs> Quite possible. <laughs> absolutely guaranteed. To me, Saracens looked very, very efficient. Their defence looked, looked absolutely awesome. They, yeah. they're, just, they're just Saracens. Yeah. They w- they didn't do anything special, though. They were Nothing incredible, but when do Saracens do anything special?
2: Yeah, well, I did think they were special in the final against Bath. Yeah, but do you know
1: what they are? They're like they're basically the club version of the Welsh team. Go on. Well, they they're just mega work rate, defence, 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 good uh, tactical awareness, and that's what they do. Yeah, you don't see much attacking flair from Saracens. Okay. I
2: I, I liked. I thought Mike Ellery. Played well. He scored the the trial early on but made a couple of good breaks. I oh yeah. It'd be interesting to see if they do continue with him as the kind of uh replacement for Because last season he was he was there. He's a former England Sevens player. Yeah, that's right.
1: So um, he's quite big and quite strong and quick. Have they replaced Strettle with any big signing? They haven't from what I can think I can think of. There's
2: no one I can recall. I mean their their signings been fairly limited this season.
1: Well, like I said, a few podcasts ago, apparently they're going to stop spending money. So watch his space.
2: <laughs> going to stop spending money. Stop spending money. Well, that's an interesting point because the announcement last week on the salary cap, so they've, there's been talk that two, two clubs have breached salary cap, but nothing official. It's just rumours. But then they've just announced two more increases over the next two years. Yeah. So it's going to go from five and a half to six and a
1: half. And then from six and a half to seven... I think I th- it's stupid. I think it is. I think it's... Abs- unless a complete. completely... I, my suspicion, and you know me, I'm all about speculation and innuendo rather than facts. Uh, I'll leave that to, to you and Tim. My theory here is that there's so much pressure from wealthier owners who tend to have more power because they're wealthier anyhow. Yeah. that They're going to put up the salary cap to favour those clubs. So Bath can outspend, if it is Bath, which it is. Um... And maybe so Saracens can because traditionally they've they've always, they've always spent. Yeah, uh, it's a nonsense. Uh, if we look at the Premiership now and we compare it to the Pro 12, there isn't a comparison really. You, you know, Pro 12 kids, empty stadiums. uh multiple like, stadiums yeah. not fit for purpose.
2: You're talking more about the the Welsh side here, and and maybe the well, uh, Edinburgh. Uh,
1: Edinburgh are doing uh, all right at the moment. You no, know, no, they, they, they do fine. They're an okay team to watch. But they're playing in an empty, wherever it is that they play, at the, the, the national stadium, uh, and the product just isn't very good. The Premiership, the product is superb. It is, that and the Super, a super Rugby Southern Hemisphere are the two best products that, that you can watch. Oh, agreed. agreed. So by increasing the, the salary cap, unless they can ensure that everyone across the board can increase it as well. Well, yeah, you can spend up to it,
2: but I, I'm pretty certain they will be able to, given the new BT Sport deal. I hope so. They sh- they certainly should be able to get close. Now, the, the increase on salary cap, I like it from one perspective, because it should mean you can retain more of the English players, more of the, the quality Engle- England players. And yeah, keep what you wish for, though, Phil. Keep them available. Well... I think that's a good thing, because you've got 12 teams to spread them out, across. it's not like Wales, where you've only got four yeah, teams, and they will get good co- experience. Unfortunately,
1: though, Phil, you can't square the circle of the two most powerful leagues in northern Northern Hemisphere have produced the two most disappointing international teams. Well, and that comes on to my second point, okay? which,
2: and this is a huge issue in France, which has a much higher salary cap, is that... If you're just going to use this additional salary cap to bring more Kiwis, Australians, and South Africans, then that is not a good thing. No, because it's like France is a perfect example of what we do not want. Yeah, hundred percent. What we, we do not want teams just having uh, foreign militants coming in. Well, militants, militants. J- Journeymen. Wow, J- no, where, where no, from mili- Syria, no militants, um, journeyman um, coming in. Uh, for mer- big money
1: mercenaries mercenaries yeah <laughs> <Militants>. <laughs> Mil- militant mercenaries <laughs> I, I completely agree I think premiership's got the balance roughly about right
2: yes I do but then you if you look at say you look in the the New Zealand teams that are played in super rugby how many foreign players do they have
1: well that's really interesting actually because from everything I've said you could basically discredit it by saying what about New Zealand yeah because they're all New Zealanders Unless there's uh, a few islands, yeah,
2: but a lot, of, a lot of the Fijians or Samoans who actually play for, well, certainly the Samoans. A lot of them were actually born in New Zealand as p- parents of Samoan heritage. Yeah, and
1: here's one for you: there are more New Zealanders playing in the Islander teams than there are yeah. Islanders in the New Zealand team. Correct. But that is a great example of the opposite to what I'm saying, which is get rid of your, your good players quickly and blood some more youth. Yeah. Or do they do that? Because if you're dead wood, if, if uh, once for want of a better word, they do just ship you out and you do go and play in the well, premiership or, or the top or 14 you'll,
2: you'll play in the ITM Cup yeah. you'll you're play the, the lower standard Super rugby this year was competed between Highlanders and the Hurricanes Yeah, I can't imagine bar a couple of Islanders, either of those teams had uh, what maybe two or three foreign players in those two
1: teams oh, uh, across the two teams I'm not even sure it's that I mean there's and a couple it, of Japanese was there for there's one uh, oh no that's a Chiefs no no um uh, the sc- the Scrum Arth play, yeah. plays for. He plays for the Highlanders. Behind Aaron Smith, doesn't he? Yes.
2: So he's second choice. But yeah, there's one there, maybe a couple of others. But you've got there 20 plus guys getting experience of Super Rugby final, plus the other guys who are in the knockout stages, like the Chiefs. Uh, I'm not sure if Crusaders made it this year.
1: But, but you, I mean, you know, don't you that you shouldn't ever trust the New Zealanders, or you should never <laughs> try and copy them.
2: Yeah, well, you should never listen to what you can watch what they
1: do, but never listen to what they say. Correct. Well, no, not even that, because I think my like conspiracy theory on the New Zealanders. Is that they come up with all this nonsense, like oh, it's about culture, it's about it's about the system, not about the outcome. We do this, and that, and all of a the southern hemisphere, sorry, northern hemisphere teams are uh, trying to copy them. And New Zealand are doing no such thing. England are busy sweeping their own changing rooms, trying to be good, <laughs> trying to be good people. And New Zealand are out there practicing lineouts. Uh, They're laughing all
2: the way to the bank. Exactly right. We were sent um, an image today by. It was Joe, Joe Simkins uh, who... Oh, yeah. He's, yeah, yeah. yeah, he's good on, good on Twitter. He sent us uh, a book by James Kerr called Legacy, and it's what the All Blacks can teach us about the business of life. Oh, wow. Includes, <laughs> um, includes a quote on the back from... Uh, it, the quote is, Very insightful. I recommend it to all involved in developing high-performing teams in sport or business. And that was from... Stuart Lancaster Stuart Lancaster Now if anyone wants a recommendation About um, developing high performing teams in sport Do not speak to Stuart
1: Lancaster Well before we go on to our our next game Is it just worth mentioning The book House of Lancaster (laughs) I've already mentioned it once this weekend Uh, Oh the poor man I mean talk about kicking a man when he's down Uh, Yeah I don't want to do it But God do I enjoy it Um, (laughs) So I was reading today about England have got their panel uh, yeah. who are going to re- uh, uh, review everything. Which is another farce. Uh, sorry, go on. Well, they're going to review everything and nothing simultaneously, which is an incredible achievement. And uh, in doing so, they're bringing in Sir Ian McGeegan, who any rugby fan really loves Sir Ian. I do not. Do you not? I do not have time for
2: Sir Ian. Oh, I, I, re- please I explain really yourself. don't. When I've watched him on the the Lions mm-hmm. DVDs. He feels like he's from a different era. He oh, feels agreed. like he's preaching stuff that they were doing in
1: 1970, and his clock is still set on in the 70s. I don't disagree with that. I think he's like a figurehead type, rather yeah. than uh, running my club. No, he'd be way down the list of people.
2: Uh, and when I listen to him as a pundit, I always feel like he's he's just a bit kind of a bit outdated, and it's like he's he doesn't quite appreciate the modern game.
1: Yeah, there is there is something in that. Which is I think there's a lot of guys out there who haven't kept up with the times of exactly what modern rugby's about and that, you know yeah the,
2: the time like, Stephen Jones from the exactly time and Stephen Stuart Jones. Stuart Barnes as well
1: and so, yeah actually so from that point I don't disagree with you but in terms of his contributions to things like Lions DVDs, he unsurpassed so you've got him on on the committee you've got oh Ian Ritchie I- Ian Ritchie. Ben Kay yeah another guy who's doing the interviews called Bowring. have you heard of him Ian is it Ian Bowring? There well, other? there's four Ians. There's <laughs> four Ians. I'm not sure if Boring's actually on the, on the panel. I'm not sure, to be honest. Here's the point that I'm getting. The Forward of Lancaster's book is written by Sir Ian McGeegan. Not only that, but Sir Ian McGeegan was on the panel that appointed Lancaster. Yes. Oh, in fact, two of them are. Uh, Ian Ritchie as well. Ian Ritchie. So, there's two guys here who are going to probably sack the... Well, they're going to be asked to sack the guy... Who they originally appointed, and I don't really have much of a problem with that because that happens a lot, a lot of time in, in business anyhow. Ian McGeechan has also written the foreword, yeah, to Lancaster's book, and now I don't really see how you can be impartial there. I, that's
2: that's my problem with it, yeah. the impartiality, because they both backed him to the hill when he was first appointed. They're going to want to demonstrate why they backed him in the. First, they're going to want him to, and it almost feels like they're posi- like Ian Ritchie, who is. Has selected the panel and selected Lancaster has positioned this to give him another four years. That's the feeling I'm getting from this. If in my mind, that review panel should be completely independent. I, uh, I would I would take four guys who have nothing to do with England. I'd take different coaches from elsewhere who aren't involved in the game, retired coaches, and get those guys doing it.
1: I don't know if I agree. Actually, I mean. I don't necess- I don't think independence for independence sake is necessarily worth it. And maybe it should just be Ian Ritchie that that calls the shots on his own and just gets it done. And if it fails it's on him because in my in my opinion these panels basically they're just covering themselves. So I
2: I'm not necess- I'm not talking about the appointment of the next coach necessarily. Yeah, yeah, the- what I'm talking about is the review of what went wrong.
1: Yeah, but if you're correct and you think they're positioning themselves to get Stuart Lancaster in another 4 years. Yeah. Well, you know, in that case, it is a covering thing because if they give him another four-year contract, whoever's in charge of the RFU can say, well, it wasn't my decision. You know, I assembled a panel of experts just like I should have done and this is what they said. So I'm just doing what the experts said and he should really be the expert.
2: Do you think any experts would come to the conclusion that Lancaster needs another four years? No,
1: (laughs) no. I mean, so like, then there's no danger of that. Well, you know, any expert would never have appointed Lancaster in the first place. That'd be the point. Yeah. I think, I think we need to
2: stop this now because we started talking about Gloucester Saracens. But this is important. We've, been, we've we somehow gotten to another well, Lancaster run. Well, here we go right? via via the salary cap.
1: Well, let's not just run about uh, Lancaster. Why don't we take this uh, ball by the horns and just run about England full stop? Which would be this: Who was the last England coach? who was actually a real well-respected coach in their own right in the club scene. Uh. I would argue their most successful coach on the club scene is probably Andy Robinson. After that, you could probably say Brian Ashton. Brian Ashton, yeah. But what, did Brian Ashton win anything with Bath? I don't know. And that's another thing. They keep picking these guys from the bloody academy. They're, <laughs> they're, they're teaching kids. And this is what you know, this is the, the whole boring thing. He is a, the guy who sets up academies, brings through the coaches, and Lancaster being his pet project, he's now going to have to fire him. Yeah. So it's just... Oh, it, the whole thing's a mess. But if you think about it, you've got um, Robinson, you had Ashton, you had Johnson, you had Lancaster. Uh, you show me the Heineken Cup winning coach out of that lot. Yeah. Just not... It's just not good enough. So that... Comfortably covers Gloucester versus Saracens. <laughs> Do you agree? Comprehensive Comprehensively. review. Comprehensively. Uh, yeah, one last thing about Saracens. Kit is terrible.
2: Oh, that wasn't a pretty sight. The two kits there.
1: Yeah. I, I love the Gloucester
2: no, shorts. I, I look, think Gloucester look all right, actually. Their shorts are great. The tops, not for me. That big square in the middle, and it just feels like it doesn't fit right. But at least they're trying, though. They're in the right direction. It's a, it's a step in the right direction, just not a very but, big one.
1: You know, if you squint... and the players are playing at distance. And
2: there's a a light fog over the pitch.
1: Oh, yeah, and your skybox isn't quite plugged in. in, Yeah, you're in standard def rather than high definition. You will see that they are in hoops, and I I, I, I appreciate it. Um, Yeah, as for Saracens, I mean, I actually don't think that kit, when you look at the, you know, say if I held up, the shirt, and then underneath it I held up the shorts, and there's a little gap. You said, Oh, that's, that's nice to top, actually. Yeah, not bad shorts. But you add them together, and it looks like they're wearing football shorts from the 1930s <laughs> just below the nipples. Oh, <laughs> uh, it does. It just looks weird.
2: Everyone looks disproportionate. Yeah, everyone looks like they're like, yeah, their ass finishes just below their shoulder blades.
1: Yeah, it's, <laughs> I think they probably need to revisit that kit. And Saracens have got one of the Premiership's nicest kit if they go back. As as have Gloucester if they go back to so the black and red. Oh, yeah. I mean that's such a nice combination. How can you get it wrong? So, anyway, the other Friday night games? Sharks versus Worcester.
2: Yes. I I've not seen I've not seen the full game. I've seen the highlights. But it kind of went as we expected, didn't it?
1: Yeah, um well, this is a team that couldn't score any any points away to Saracens and then go home uh play behind closed doors and got 27 <laughs> points. I mean, that is typical Sale. They do it with a bunch of nobodies and Danny Cipriani. It's quite incredible. Yeah,
2: Danny Cipriani kicked a few conversions, ran in a try himself on the 80th minute. Another another try for Josh Beaumont, following on from last year. I mean, Yeah, 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 of course. Well, uh-huh.
1: I mean, if you want a coach who gets so much of his players. There you go. There he is, Dean Ryan. Dean Ryan. <laughs> Dean Ryan. Everybody. Brilliant. And I think uh, I think Worcester will be a, li- a little disappointed. Although they looked like a much better team than that score than that score suggested. Worcester. Yeah. Yeah. And they're so far superior to London Welsh. It's not even funny. Oh yeah.
2: This this season. Well, I, I certainly wouldn't like to predict now who's going to go down. I think it's. Worcester, London Irish, and
1: Newcastle are the contenders, from what I've seen. Yeah, I'm gonna say, I'm gonna say this, which is London Irish have invested too much money to go down. Now the players might not be top draw, but they're not bad either. And to bring in a coach like Tom Coventry and all of his assistants with all the success that he's had previously, that's a pretty decent. That's a pretty pretty de- decent setup. Yeah. So I think they'll they'll come good around after Christmas now, uh, because of the delay in the season and Newcastle Falcons were a complete and utter joke no longer that plastic pitch has actually transformed how they play and exciting news <laughs> uh, I have some information on Mr Hammersley The Hammer The Hammer yes yeah. The Hammer apparently has a um, has a first class degree from Durham in economics and turned down a high paying job in Barclays to really? Go, yeah, to go and play uh, for Newcastle Falcons Wow So there you go Facts about one of my My new favourite player Simon the Hammer Hammersley, Hammersley. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah so I don't think Newcastle will go down um, Because I just think They're I think they're actually Building something Fairly substantial But then
2: who's going to go down Because Newcastle And London Irish Neither of them Have won yet And they've been Yeah I was expecting More of them
1: Do you know who I thought it Would really struggle Go on And they have, it's Harlequins
2: Yeah I no.
1: really thought That they would struggle not, Maybe not go down I can see them going on in like a, a bad run of results.
2: Yeah, but no, I, I think their signings have been astute. Um, I think they've strengthened where they need to strengthen. Mm. They've not yet had Jamie Roberts um, come back in. Their England player's come back in. That Luamanu, the eight, looks quite handy, doesn't he?
1: Ah, right, okay. So when you said Luamanu then, I thought you meant Christian Luomanu, the, the centre of the Tigers, but you need, mean the new eight for Quins? Yes. Got you. Yes, right. the Quins eight.
2: Yeah, he looks quite handy. And they, they only lost by three points um, with a, a late try from from Leicester at Welford Road, which not many teams will do because Leicester are starting to get a few of their players back as well.
1: Uh, is not uh, It's like the story of Leicester, though, is it not? <laughs> like, uh, what what uh, What's Leicester doing this week? Oh, they're starting to get a few of their players back <laughs> and Richard Cockrell is whinging about something or other. <laughs> Referee indecision, yeah, unavailability, it's, weather. Which leads me to, like, why did they go out and p- John Devilliers? It's exactly the same thing.
2: Well, have they got him? It's not been announced yet, has it?
1: Oh no, it hasn't. It's, it's, it's speculation. Alleged, allegedly going to get John uh, Devilliers
2: replacing uh, 36-year-old or 37-year-old Saramai Bai with 35-year-old John Devilliers for some longevity. <laughs> <sighs> um, After 28-year-old Anthony Allen Retired <laughs> through injury
1: Yeah, well, I mean uh, If he hadn't retired He probably would have made the England team And I, I, have been, I would have been right about that And this year is the year of Miles My- Benjamin uh, This year, yes This year, Miles Benjamin and Gloucester's year No, no, definitely this year This year Chiefs, comfortable winners with, In a hit out against London Irish
2: Yeah, and looking good as well I, I Chiefs for me, top four this year Give me your top four right now Northampton, Saracens, Bath, Chiefs I think Wasps
1: will just miss out. Uh, I think Leicester will miss out. I don't think Leicester will make it. I think you're right there. I think Wasps will make it. Um, and who, who
2: for, though? Bath, nailed on. Are they nailed on? I think they are. I think they're a slow start because of the number of
1: the people they've lost to the internationals. I, I think they will make it. Do you know what? I really can't call it. I, I think this just shows the quality of the premiership. I literally can't call anything. I mean... If you think about the results that we predicted last week. Oh, uh, last week were all over the place. Yeah. Um, this week, not much better, although we're we'll starting... We'll uh, start I got six ahead. from six this week. What, you predicted that Wasps would beat Bath? I did, and I it, I actually had
2: some money on it as well. I put a, mm. a six-way accumulator and uh, won... How would you win? I put two pounds on it and won 24 quid. Oh,
1: uh, fine, whatever. <laughs> um, wasps versus Bath?
2: Um, scrappy game from the looks of it. I've only seen the highlights. Yeah. Um, there's a penalty try for Wasps for the cynical Nico Matawalu uh, pull back on uh, Nathan Hughes but besides that there wasn't a huge amount to it, it was was Gopith looks good controlling the game kicking
1: I think Gopith this is probably the best signing of, of, of the summer yeah I really do I think he's he's gonna... got to
2: be up so far I mean th- there's quite a few that will will have to bed him properly and there'll be um, certainly some of the ones coming post World Cup will be interesting to see for example, Picamols. If he goes... Where? Uh, if, if he goes anywhere. I've, I've,
1: I've already got my eyes on a, be- a beautifully crafted Canterbury <laughs> bath top with Picamols across the back. Mm. 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 Lovely. That, that'd be wonderful. Uh, and last but not least, Northampton thumping Newcastle, which in, in effect is a return to business for Northampton.
2: Yeah. As expected. Um... And I do expect that will kickstart their season. Um, and they'll get back to playing. They have got a few more of their internationals back in in the starting lineup. Like Laws and Tom Wood were both back. Foden got a few tries as well, didn't has he? Has
1: he changed his hair or something? Something happened with Foden recently. His, his hair
2: has gone like um, like a long. Try to think of who it looks like. A bit like. Do you remember when Harry Kuhl had an Alice band? It's a little bit like that.
1: What's wrong with the man? <laughs> I'm sure I've seen something else about Foden which is absolutely, absolutely critical.
2: Oh, I saw someone tweeted us saying um, the only neck rule that should get penalised is this one. Yes, <laughs> that one. Ben Foden wearing a blazer and an orange turtleneck.
1: <sighs> <laughs> oh Ben, oh Ben, that
2: was very good. I enjoyed that. Excellent.
1: Right, well, pretty much it is it not? Uh, I think
2: you're missing a fantastic Ulster performance against Cardiff. Okay, tell me about the hobby league. Go on. <laughs> well. Unfortunately, because I was at this wedding mm-hmm. uh, and up in Edinburgh, and my selfish girlfriend and CJ's lovely wife wanted to have a nice evening of wine and food. We didn't get to watch this game, but it was as expected. That's ridiculous. Also, win at home. Very nice, Andrew Trimble try.
1: Great report. As you well know, I love everything which comes out, comes out the Pro 12. So, anything else you can update me with, fantastic.
2: Someone else you do love is uh, Stuart McCloskey. The massive. I, I do like Stuart McCloskey, big, actually, yes. Six four hundred and eight kg Ulster inside centre Who scored a try
1: Right, enough Hobby League now I'll just leave it, with, leave it with this On Friday night, me, Phil And a fantastic group of fellow rugby rangers Are heading down to Bath <laughs> Rugby rangers? Rugby rangers
2: never
1: <laughs> I've never heard of the rugby rangers I've heard of Rennie Ranger No, 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 rugby rangers you know um... Is Rennie Ranger going to be there though? No, he's oh. not but we will be there. We'll yeah. be there with Brim Williams. We'll be there with a couple of RGC lads. And I think we're even going to be joined by a rather well, well-renowned well coach. A, a well-renowned coach. A very eh? well-renowned coach, yes. Uh, Mike, Mike Ford. I will not be divulging any more information. But if you want to join us for drinking bath and find us somewhere around the wreck, we will be immaculately dressed in blazers <laughs> and ties. And um, we'll see you on Thursday. On a diet, scrum is straight, term is right. I don't deny it. Test me, try it. Style, you don't buy it. I'm going to grab the microphone and start to fly it. Up, up, high, grab the mic and make you cry. Told you before we represent L.I. London Irish, you can't deny this. So, so sick of tenants, you can't buy this.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Planning for your next trip?